the six disciplines on the gospel. Um, what I want to talk about is the, the implication that the gospel has on our disciplines, and that is that um, how our pursuit of these disciplines is enabled by the gospel and, and how it is that, that the gospel itself um, makes us able to pursue these things for the Lord. Um, I want to start with, with one Bible verse. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that um, when we become new creatures in Christ, what God does is he pours his love into us and he uses the, the agency of the, the Holy Spirit to do that. And he pours his love into us, into our hearts, our hearts that were formerly hard and unreceptive to the gospel. The love of God within us makes us able to receive that love and makes us able to do something that we, we never could before. And, and one of those things is to love God back. We love God back, not with affections that are from us, but with, with the love that he poured into us. And the first way that we, we work out that love that God has poured into our hearts is discipline one. That's caring for our heart and shepherding our heart. And before the gospel came into our lives, we had no means and no way of shepherding our own heart and caring for our hearts. But because God has made us new and given us new hearts, we now have the opportunity to pursue a relationship with him by the sharing, by the, the investing of our life in, in spending time with him in prayer and in the word. And so when we meet with the Lord in time in prayer, and we meet with the Lord in time of reading his word and we study the word, that is enabled by the gospel because he is the one who gave us a desire to, to love him in the first place. Jesus tells us that the greatest command is that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of who we are. And, and the way that we work that out, first and foremost, is by caring for our own heart in time in the word and time in prayer. And so that is how the gospel affects our first discipline. And when we think about when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, you love the Lord with all the, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the most immediate place where we love our neighbor as ourself is in our own homes. If you're a single guy and you've got roommates, the most immediate way that you, you love your neighbor as yourself is with your roommates. If you're married, the most immediate way you do that is with your wife. If you're a father, the most immediate way you do that is with your kids and loving them in a way that, that honors them, that prefers them, that encourages them, that loves them that forgives them, that mourns with them, that comforts them. So the place that we, we live out the gospel after we apply it to our own life is discipline too, and that's in our own homes. And I think that's, that's really, really encouraging. Another passage I want to mention for you guys this morning is Ephesians 4:16, And we give an abbreviated version of that when we're sharing that from the front, and that is that the body causes the growth of the body. And the third of our disciplines is the ministry. And God's design when he saves us with the gospel work is that we would be used within the body to cause the growth of the body. And if you look at the words that are in between the body causing the growth of the body, it talks about each part being fitted together properly, each part performing its own function properly. The picture there is a picture of a person who has already shepherded his own heart and he's already shepherded his own family well. And now he's ready to enter into a ministry. And whether that ministry is setting up chairs on Sunday mornings so that the rest of the body can, can
can sit and listen to the gospel message and can listen to the Lord's table, or whether that ministry is running the PowerPoint so that we can all worship, or whether that ministry is leading worship so the rest of us can follow in worship, or it's caring for babies in the nursery so those babies' parents can go to worship. Um, Each one of those things is enabled only when we do discipline one and we do discipline two. Then we're ready to actually function in those ministries because it's only then that we can actually um, function properly each part according to its design. And that's God's design and it's a good design. So our third discipline that we want to make sure that we understand the relationship between the gospel and that discipline is is the, the ministry. And it's because Christ died for us and because we've been saved by his blood that we have the privilege of serving in ministry. And uh, we want to keep that in front of us. And the fourth discipline is the qualifications, the deacon qualifications we find in in 1 Timothy 3. We find those in verses 8 through 13. And the implications of the gospel on those qualifications are, are immense. You know, those qualifications talk about a man who is... Who is um, not fond of sordid gain. He's a man who is not given to much wine, and he's a man who is not double-tongued, and he's a man of dignity and all of those things. And, and you think about the person that you were before the gospel had its impact on your life. Um, I know myself and what I was. I was a man who loved to be a double-tongued because I had one message for one particular context in my life, and I had another message for another context this context over here was all of my friends, and I was willing to say anything to win the approval of my friends. Um, but I compromised those things when I was when I was in another context where I, I knew that people were concerned about my character. Um, you, you think about the rest of the qualifications. You think about what it was that that um, satisfies you. A man before the gospel is, is satisfied by any vice, um, but when the gospel has its full impact and implication in his life. He loves to be satisfied by God's word and by who God is in his life. Um, He loves to be a man of dignity because his example is Christ and he loves to be Christ-like. Prior to the gospel having its its work in a person's life, there's no dignity there because there's no way in which they, they resemble the life of Christ. So the gospel itself has strong implications on on the qualifications that we have as men who seek to be deacon qualified. The fifth of our disciplines is the hermeneutic, and, and the implication of the gospel is, is very significant there as well. Um, if you're like me, and you're like I was before I came to Christ, I actually had a Bible, and I read my Bible, and uh, because I was made to read it by my parents, and it was the dullest, driest, most unsatisfying time that I could ever imagine because I was reading words that I couldn't possibly understand. But the implication of the gospel is God has put his Holy Spirit within us to make us people who are able to understand Scripture. We have his Holy Spirit in us to illuminate Scripture so that when we read it, we can comprehend its meaning. So now the the person who's been saved by the gospel is the person who has everything they need to understand the words that God has given to us in his revelation of himself. And so the implication of the gospel on the The discipline five of the hermeneutic is is really, really substantial. And so we should be men who, because we have in us everything we need to understand the revelation that God has given to us of himself, that we pursue that diligently and we pursue it with a zeal um, because now we have what we have, what we need to understand it. 
Uh, Discipline six is the the vision and the purpose of our church. Um, If you're a believer, you're saved into the church of Christ universally, but you're also encouraged and mandated by Christ to to take part in a local church. And this is our church, and and we have our own distinctives and our our own objectives on how we do things, and we are just delighted that everybody is here. But we are here and we can function in this church because the gospel has saved us. And so the gospel enables us to draw others in. It enables us to to come alongside them as they get built up along with us. And it enables us to send others out. We're taking the gospel itself to the other side of the world, Lord willing, this year. And and the gospel is is the thing that enables us to do that. And before the gospel had its, its impact in our lives, we, we had no thought of the glory of God. We had no thought of Christ on the cross and its significance to our life. And, and we had no transformed life at all. But because of the gospel, we, we actually can live in a way that brings glory to God. And we can live in a way that makes much of Christ who died for us on the cross. And we can live a transformed life because we have God's grace that enables us to do that. So I just thought I would share a few things this morning about about the disciplines and how the gospel is so significant and so relevant in those things. So I hope you guys are encouraged by that. Are we breaking up in the small groups? Okay, so um, the hallway is out because it's noisy over there with the tone. So we're going to have probably three or four guys here. It's dark outside. So. Yeah, there's the long hallway. So my group will take our usual spot over here. And the other guys, if you want to stay in here, that's good too, or take the other hallway. Whose group is Mike Johnson? My group. Chris Okay. You know, can I say, we should pray for Mike. Mike is kind of had some cancer stuff going on on his skin. And he's got the cream going on, so he's kind of like a vampire taking him out during the sun. He's in a whole lot of pain. He's not really sleeping well because of the discomfort of, I guess it, it causes the face to burn. So as we think of Mike, and then as we look, let's pray for Mike. And I talked to him yesterday, and he had a smile on his voice, but I know it's hurt. Let me do that. Let me pray for Mike right now. Perfect. Father, we just praise you for our brother Mike. We praise you that he is faithful to this church and that he he serves and he comes and he participates. And I praise you, Lord, that that he is faithful to his small group and that he is a significant person in that group and he encourages well. I thank you for all the wisdom that he, he shares with people on his perspective in life and, and the part of the world that you have given him the privilege of seeing and the relevance of the gospel in that. Lord, he is a man who is, is weak right now in his flesh and in his body. Lord, we know that you are able to heal him in, in a single moment by just simply saying the word. But Lord, you have brought him through this situation for his good and for your glory. And I pray that your grace would attend to him as he recovers from this. Lord, I pray that gospel thoughts would be in front of him often and that they would encourage him and that they would be significant in his life. I do pray for healing, Lord, and I pray for recovery so that we could rejoice together with him. I pray for Terry, that you would enable her to care well for him, that you would give her perseverance and grace and patience in all of those things. And Lord, I pray for comfort for Mike when uh, he's very uncomfortable at this time. So we thank you for our brother. We praise you for saving him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you, you have a, a green 
homework sheet, I believe. Is that right? Would it, yeah, it's green on the back of that. Um, you can, if you want to, you can do that for next time. There are, are many, many questions worked into our worksheet today um, that primarily will, will help um, most of you who, primarily you guys who are married. Um, there, there are some, many questions in there that are for those of you who are not married to consider. But if you are married, have kids, or just married, um, and you, I would encourage you for your homework to maybe isolate some of the questions that are on the worksheet that we're going to go through today, and, and we'll read through them as we go, and you might go, oh yeah, that would be a really good one for me to, to think about. I'd encourage you, uh, if your time doesn't allow you to do the questions and the green sheet, to pick the, the questions and spend some time with your wife, your fiancé, whatever, your, your, even your daughters, if you have some that are old enough uh, that you could do this with, maybe sit and, and isolate three, four, or five questions and sit with them and, and do that as homework instead. It, if, uh, if you have time to do the green sheet, also do the green sheet. Um, it'll be good. Uh, I want to have you look at your calendar for a second. Coming up on March 8th, um, that weekend we don't do uh, a uh, build class. We, we encourage as many of you as can and want to go to, Shep, uh, to the Shepherds Conference. We, we'd love for you to do that. Um, it's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday conference. If uh, you would like to do that and think that you might have some obstacles in your path financially, just come talk to me. We'd love to figure out a way to help you get past or around those obstacles or just eliminate them. Uh, so please feel free to come and talk to me or to Tom or to Scott, to Jacob, uh, whomever, okay? We would love to help you with that, think through that so that it's not an obstacle. Um, it, it's just a great time together to go to a, a conference where you're going to hear um, great uh, preaching from God's Word, all designed towards ministry in the local church. Um, it's an opportunity for us to kind of like just build some camaraderie together, uh, enjoy each other a lot, um, get to know some new guys in the church. Uh, guys who are at H3 with SMED will be going. Um, guys in Shepherdology will be going. Um, many of your elders will be there. So if you want to come, we'd love to have you be there. You get, they treat you like royalty while you're there. I mean, you will get first class treatment. Uh, it's just really encouraging. It's like a vacation. Uh, but, but it's really encouraging. So if, if we can help you with that, please let us know. We'd love to help you with that. March um, 5 through 9. Uh, why does she have 5? I think... Five, five, it's 5 through 8 is... Wait a minute. That's, that's too many dates. It's just, it's just Wednesday. They don't have anything on Saturday this year. Okay, so it is... Wednesday is the 5th. But... Um, it, they used to do it all the way through the weekend, and there was nothing on Saturday, and you just go to church with them on Sunday. Yeah. But now it's just Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so it's really fifth, uh, sixth, and seventh of March. We would have build on the eighth, the Saturday, but we don't do that because if you can come to this, we'd love to have you do that. Okay. Scott, uh, historically we've gotten a lot of hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. Have we done that this year? We have done that again. Um, so we, 
uh, stay in a hotel that's just south of the church about five minutes um, so that the commute time is really quick. Uh, you're going the opposite way that everybody else is going in the morning and at night you're going the opposite way that everybody's going. Uh, if you stay up in Santa Clarita, you got about a 45 minute commute uh, depending on where you stay. Um, so uh, we've got a block of hotel rooms at a, at a pretty decent rate. If you have two per room, you, cut, you split that. If you got three per room, four per room, it gets even cheaper. Um, of course, your fellowship gets really intimate <laughs> when you do that. <laughs> But um, I don't know. Allie is there is a date, but um, we uh, the, the sooner you can let us know, the better. If you're thinking about wanting to do it, um, and and you want to just let us let me know that you're thinking about that, that's great. I'll write your name down. I'll let Allie know. It doesn't lock you into having to do it, but it would be good for us to kind of have an idea of who's. Uh, participating or thinking about it anyway. <clears throat> just, just a little more. Please. Stealing something like that. Just for those that haven't gone, it's a time when we all hang out together. We eat. Our, if we're not eating there because they feed you like loyalty, we, we go to restaurants, we go as a group. It's not like you're trying to figure out transportation. Some people fly there, other people drive there. there there's mm-hmm. always transportation. I, I'm kind of curious. Who's thinking about they might go? Awesome. Oh, cool. Okay. Great. If, if, if you can, you know, as you think and you pray about it, maybe in two weeks we could ask again, but yeah. it is a wonderful time. It's not like you're going to be sitting there, I don't know what to do. You, you will be hanging out with the guys. Right. And it's a wonderful time. Tom, thank you. That's, that's really important. <clears throat> go online and register yourself for the conference yourself. If you need help with that, let us know, and, and we'll do it through the office for you. Like if, if you, even paying for the conference is a challenge, let us know, um, and then let Allie know as soon as possible that you are going, or you can let me know, or Tom, or any one of us, and we'll make sure Allie knows. That way, she can kind of keep track. Then the next thing to, to think about is how are you going to get out there. Some of us go out on Tuesday afternoon and drive so that we can sleep there Tuesday night and wake up in the morning fresh and start the conference at 10. Um, other guys get up, and we used to leave like at 5 in the morning here, and you can get there by 10 a.m. or 10, 15, um, and then you're really tired all day. The older I get, the, the less I, I mean, I'm impressed with that strategy. But um, anyway, some guys fly in um, into Burbank. It, Burbank is, is 15 minutes from the church, and uh, we always have plenty of vehicles, and we just know who that is who's flying in, and we go to the airport, we pick them up, and then we all go. Whoever's flying out to fly back home at Burbank, we arrange with the cars to do that. You don't have to worry about renting a car. You don't have to do any of that. There's always enough guys driving that we can take care of it. And you're not on your own unless you want to be on your own. And we don't really even want to encourage you to be on. We want you to be with us and be together. So it's not like, hey, yeah, go to this conference. It's going to be great. There will be 3,000 guys there and we might see you. We all go together. And we're all staying in the same place. We all eat together. We, it's just like... Look, it's, it's grown-up guys' winter camp. How about that? It's winter camp. So, anyway. If you have any other questions, you can ask any of the guys who have been before, or you can come and talk to me about that. I'd love to help you, okay? All right. Let's uh, take our Bibles. Let's open up to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I want to pray. So let's do that. 
Father, we're before your word again, and we want your help, and we want to um, make sure that our time in your word is um, makes a huge impact, the biggest impact on us that it can make, uh, life-changing impact, um, refocusing us, realigning us with you and what your heart and your mind is in the gospel of your son Jesus. Would you draw near to us, Lord, please, and help us to understand your word and uh, make our hearts soft. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, as you know, we've turned the corner from Discipline 1, shepherding our hearts to the Word of God in order to meet with the God of the Word. Not to just do that in the morning or in the evening as a, as a quiet time or a devotional, but also throughout the day we want to be shepherding our hearts to God in His Word so that we're thinking rightly about situations that are happening in front of us, events that we are in, trials that come, blessings that come. And then we're now focusing on the home. Last time together we talked about Deuteronomy 6 and what God's intent was for Israel. And then we walked forward into our Bibles to show even more what Jesus and the New Testament says about the home. In the gospel, the household is very, very important. In Acts right now, what we're seeing over and over again is that one person believes and oftentimes the whole household gets changed too by the gospel. Jesus, though, also balances that with If you come to the gospel, your household may reject you. So the goal is not that the household is the goal. The goal is the gospel, and you bring your household along with you in the gospel, and you let the chips lie wherever God has the chips lie. Um, And so what we want to do today is get you to think about a passage of Scripture that probably, um, I don't know if men study it very often, because it's primarily about women. But your household, someday, if you're not married, it will most likely involve women in your household. And it would be good for you to know what the impact of the gospel is on the women in your home. If you don't know what the gospel's impact is on the women in your home, if you don't know that, you can't lead them to that. Right? So it's important for us to know. We are not studying this so you can go home and with a hammer tell your wife what she must be. We're not doing that. We're studying this so that you have your antenna up and you know what God thinks about women and how they are shaped by the gospel and so you can participate with him as a good shepherd in your home, helping the women that will, Lord willing, be in your home someday if they're not already. You'll have uh, an idea of what to, to be like. Also, if you want to be married, you need to be, th- this is, you want to know what to look for in a wife? Uh, go here before you go to eHarmony. Okay, come here because this is the woman you want. This is the woman you must have. This is the woman that you need to. That this kind of woman you need to help shape her into becoming this the rest of her life too. Okay, all right. So want to understand the bigger context of what's going on. So I'm going to back up into Titus one just a little bit. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Well, he tells us in verse five for this re- of chapter one. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should uh, set in order what remains. Well, what is it that remains? Well, you need to appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And primarily then he runs through the elder qualifications again, just like Paul did with Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, in particular, I want you to notice verse um, 9. The elder, the overseer, needs to be able, uh, he's holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, the teaching that Paul would have been given Uh, would have given them, uh, given to Titus. Why? So that that elder will be able both 
to do two things. One, to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So the where he ends up with his elder qualifications is with a task that the shepherd must be able to do with the word of God. He needs to be able to exhort, but his exhortation needs to be in sound doctrine. And, verse 9, he needs to refute those who contradict the sound doctrine. Okay? Second question there. Why do elders need to be able to both exhort and to refute those who contradict? Well, he tells us now in verse 10. For, in other words, because there are many rebellious men. This is why you need to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Because there's a bunch of rebellious men around. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Um, from the Jewish side of things, right? Um, verse 11, who must be silenced. They're talking and they need to be silenced. Because, Why? They're upsetting whole families. Families, households are being turned upside down and dismantled. They're doing it by teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sword and gain. And so Titus is saying, church in Crete, guess what? You need elders who can help make sure this doesn't happen. One of themselves, he goes on to talk about um, them being uh, what their characters like, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. His testimony is true, um, etc. He goes on to talk about what they're like. Well, then what is Titus supposed to be compared to the false teachers? He tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, the, the, the false teachers are teaching and they're speaking. And, and Titus, my plan to counter that is that you speak. You teach. We're going to take their teaching and we're going to undo it with right teaching with speaking things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine has a, a way of living that is fitting to it. There's a way to live that fits with the sound doctrine. Titus, speak that sound doctrine and the living that is fitting with it. What is Paul's strategy for Titus so that he can address the damage that's been caused by false teachers at the household level? That should say household level, not household leave, if it says that on your... Um, what's his point? He, he was going to run through what a household should look like. Look, the false teachers are coming in and they're taking the household and they're turning it upside down. They're shaking it up and everybody's living in ways they should not be living. So he's just going to start with the household. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women of the household to love their husbands, to love their children. So you got husbands and children mentioned. Uh, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men in households to be sensible. In, in all things, show yourself, Titus, he's talking about Titus, to be an example of good deeds of purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And even urge the bond slaves, the slaves of the house, to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. The way that a household lives needs to dress up and make the gospel look beautiful. 
It's not that the gospel is ugly and we have to do something to help it look beautiful. You need to live in such a way that you bring out the inherent beauty of the gospel. That's what his combat is against the false teachers who are upsetting whole families. Um, How is it possible or what's ultimately at stake in the church and outside the church? Do you see these key statements? Look at verse one. There's there are things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The way that you live, there's a way of living that's fitting to the sound doctrine. So have the right living that fits that sound doctrine. Look at verse five. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. This is what is at stake when households get upset by error. Um, The word of God is dishonored in a community. Look at verse 8. So that they have nothing bad to say about us. Look, when the world looks on Christian homes in the church, we don't want them to be able to say anything bad about us by the way that we live and conduct our households. Look at verse 10. So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect in the household. The gospel must be seen to be the beautiful thing that it is. And the way that we get to adorn that is through the way that we conduct our households. Christian households matter. Guys, we need to know what God thinks about Christian households. Um, and then how is it possible for these believers to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect? I mean, how do you, who's worthy for this? Who, who's capable of that? Don't worry, look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Praise God. The only way that any of us could ever do this is that God's grace has come and appearing has brought salvation to all men. Not only is it a conversion event that it has brought to our lives, but look, verse 12, it instructs us. It is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And he gave himself to us to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. How on earth can any man, any household do this? The grace of God has come. You have the grace of God. The household must look different. Okay, so in particular, what we're going to focus on in the household is the women of the household. And so here's the, the next kind of darkened bullet question there, or not, uh, just emboldened question. Why is it important for men in the church to understand God's gospel and its effects on women in the church, on everybody in the church? I'm going to give you four more reasons here. Number one, number one, I must align my leadership. The word you want to put in your blank is align. I must align my leadership with God's Gospel expectations for women in my home. That sound doctrine that has a living that fits it, I need to align myself with that doctrine, with that teaching. As heads of households, presently or in the future, if you're going to be married someday, your loving leadership as a husband, as a father, must be aligned with God's gospel expectations for your wife, whether she's an older or a younger wife, and or your daughters. Secondly, Why is it important for you to understand God's gospel? My leadership must help the women uh, or the woman in my home embrace, embrace God's gospel and gospel implications for their living. You need to be aligned with it and then you need to be able to help the women in your home embrace what the gospel's expectations are for them as women. Help them embrace it. 
They live in a world that is trying to fracture their understanding of what the gospel says they should be. The world is trying to disciple them to be something else. You need to be aligned with the truth of the gospel and what it shapes a woman to become in a household so that you can help them then embrace that. Okay? As a loving leader of your wife, your daughter, you must expose your wife's or your daughter's heart to God's design for them in the gospel so they might embrace his gospel design for them by his grace. Uh, I can tell you, having two uh, teenage daughters, that my daughter's view of womanhood is constantly under assault. Um, I must align myself with what God thinks and uh, about women and the implications of the gospel on women in my home, and I must help my daughters embrace that. And I'm relying on the church to help the women in my household embrace that as well. Third, my leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning adorning of the gospel and the silencing of critics. Two blanks, adorning and silencing. My leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of the critics. I want to lead my household. Men, you need to lead your household in such a way that it reveals the gospel to be the beautiful thing that it is and the way that the women in your household live brings out that beauty. And it also silences anybody else from being able to criticize the way that your household lives. Um, Guide them. Guide your wife into the gospel behavior that adorns the gospel. Guide your daughters into that. It honors the word of of God. It puts the the opponents to open shame. And then fourthly, my leadership of of the women in my home can protect, there's your last blank, protect my household from being upset. Remember, There will be error that will come and try to get into your house that will upset whole families. But if you are aligned with the gospel, you understand what the sound doctrine is, you're helping the women to embrace that that gospel implication for them, and you're helping to bring out the beauty of the gospel and silence the critics, when false teaching comes, you're not going to be caught off guard. You're going to recognize it for what it is. And you can help protect your family, spiritually speaking. It appears in, in uh, the, the first century. I mean, you can look at this in Second Timothy chapter 3. If you just go back even a page, maybe, in your Bible. Verse 6. Among them are those... Second Timothy 3, 6. For among them are those who enter into households, these men, described in verses 1 to 5. And they enter into households and they captivate weak women who are weighed down with sins. I, that just breaks my heart every time I see that. Weak women weighed down with sins. Nobody needs to be weighed down under sin, who's a Christian, if you understand what the gospel is, that that doesn't mean that you you shouldn't feel contrite or broken over your sin. You should always feel broken and contrite. That's not what's going on here. These women have sins in their lives and they are underneath them and they can't get out from underneath them. And there are false teachers out there who take advantage of that. And where are the men? In 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. Weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Men, we need to protect our our families, the women in our households. Question for you, how aware have you been of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? When was the last time you studied Titus 2, verses 3 to 5? If you don't know it, it's difficult to help them embrace it. It's difficult to bring out the adornment of the gospel, and it's difficult to silence any critics.
Okay. Second question. If you're single but hope to be married someday, how aware have you been of Titus 2, 3 to 5 as you prayerfully consider marriage? As you pray for that woman who you can't put a face to or maybe you're dreaming it's the face that you've seen in your mind, what about praying Titus 2, 3 to 5 for her? If you are married and have daughters, how aware do you think the women in your home are of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says and means for them? And why is their awareness of it where it currently is? Are, are they aware of it because you're aware of it? Are they unaware of it because you've been unaware of it? Why is their awareness where it is? And is it connected to you? Okay. So here we go. Titus 2, 3 to 5. The gospel is honored through transformed older women training transformed younger women. We're going to just take that section 3 to 5. And we're going to show how the gospel is adorned or the gospel is honored. The gospel is seen to be the great thing that it is. But through transformed older women training transformed younger women. These are gospel impacted changed women. Okay, These are not just women in general, but these are believing Christian women. And we need older ones of them helping to train the younger ones. Okay, So we're going to have three points to the outline here. Number one is what older women transformed by the gospel must be. That's what Paul starts with in, in verse 3. And then secondly, we'll get to what, um, younger, uh, what older women transformed by the gospel must train transformed younger women to be. And that's in verses uh, 4 and 5. And then lastly, what happens when transformed women are all that they should be, the gospel is honored. So number one, who does he talk about here? older women. The text doesn't indicate to us any specific age range. Uh, some speculate um, that it's women in their 60s. Um, I don't know how you land on, a, on a, even a, a decade. Um, it's just older women. Um, the point that you shouldn't miss is this. Older women, um, according to Paul, are a rich spiritual resource for the church. Um, it is, I can remember in Jacob and Tom, Scott, any of you have been here for a while, Travis, uh, Tra- this church was a young, young church. And I can remember being over at um, Gethsemane Lutheran Church and somebody from another church would come and visit, they're looking for a church or whatever, and they would be in their 40s or 50s and they would walk in and they'd be like, oh, this isn't for me because this is like a, a college church, young singles church. And I can remember over and over and over pleading with them, do not leave. We need you. We need to have older men. We need to have older women in this church. We're impoverished because we don't have them. There is a value to them. We can't miss this. Now, um, women come in two categories, according to Paul here. Uh, Not only, but there's older women and then there's younger women. This is how he sees them and wants Titus to think about them, at least at this point. And just being older doesn't mean that a woman is qualified to do this. Just get any older woman and have her start talking to any younger woman. No, the older woman has to be of a certain character, and that's what he is going to point out next. So let me give you the characteristics here. Look at verse 3. Older women are to be reverent in behavior. That's the first characteristic that the older woman must be in the gospel. The word reverent is the only place it's used here in, in the whole New Testament. It the, the word has its roots in the priesthood 
It was a person set apart for priestly duties. That person was a sacred person set apart to do sacred duties. And that's the idea that is carried over here to the older women. It's not that she's a priestess. It's not that at all. But it's that she views her life as a sacred life. A life that is set apart. She's an older woman who sees herself as set apart for God. Uh, Even though she appears to be a very common older woman in the community or even in the church, she's got a demeanor or a behavior about her that she has set apart for God for something special in the gospel. What she is about in this ministry is sacred. And it's in verses 3 to 5. This is sacred. Um, Maybe it could be said that she's a woman who practices the presence of God. She's concerned all the time that she is under the eye and the watch of God and she is um, setting herself apart for his work that um, he has for her. I think that um, this description, being reverent in behavior, may be something like the way that the above reproach works for the men in the list, in the elder qualifications. This might be an umbrella um, description of the woman and what it means to be reverent behavior is defined by the, the things that come next. It's very possible it could be that way. Okay. So this is what the gospel shapes an older woman to become, is reverent in behavior. I want you to see each one of these as gospel-created characteristics. This is a gospel-created characteristic. Okay. Um, question for you, do you long for your wife to be this kind of woman? It would be great to regularly think and pray through, Lord, make my wife, make my daughter into a reverent older woman someday. Help me to to be a part of that. Are you looking for a woman to be married to? Uh, You need to be looking for one who desires to be reverent or set apart in her life. Are you concerned to direct your wife in this direction, guys? You might want to ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned about this because what you think you are with her might not be what she thinks you are with her. I've found that to be true in my life, that whatever I think I am, there's maybe sometimes a disconnect between what my wife thinks I am. So that's why I say take, take some time over the next two weeks and sit with your wife with some of these questions um, and ask, do, do you think that I'm concerned for your holiness of life? be interesting to know what she thinks when you ask that. Um, number two, the second characteristic, not malicious gossips. It looks like not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine could possibly go together. So the next two could possibly go together. Not malicious gossips. That's what the NAS has. What does the ESV have for that? Slanders. Slanders. It's just one word in the Greek. Uh, It's the word diabolus, diabolical, diablo, the devil. Okay? She can't be this. She can't be devilish. Okay? Okay. what it means is she can't engage in slander. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser the devil is. She must not be of that kind of character. She can't engage in it. Uh, she shouldn't repeat vicious gossip. Uh, older women cannot be backbiting or advance scandalous charges against others. This woman who is, has this characteristic that's created by the gospel must be a woman who can control her tongue from participating in gossip or that which pushes others down in the eyes of others. Um, And that one could be paired along with the next one, not enslaved to much wine, number three. Um, 
It's possible that in Crete, the men and even the women were known to be heavy drinkers. Um, Up in verse 7 of chapter 1, the men, the elders, cannot be addicted to wine. Do you see that there? And down here, even just the older women in general are not to, um, in verse 3, are not to be enslaved to much wine. And it, it, that, that's a pretty strong word. It, it, it appears that um, this problem was even more acute among the women in Crete, because it's a stronger word given to them. Uh, over in Ephesus, in First Timothy chapter three, the, the qualifications given there for the women, um, for the for the wives of deacons, uh, she is to be temperate. That that could be tied with um, a use of one uh, one's use of alcohol. Very mild word to use. This word over here in Crete is 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 a, a slave term. She is not to be enslaved to wine. So it, it, some think that Paul understands that the women of Crete were maybe known for being heavy drinkers, and so the older women of the church could not be enslaved to wine. Um, so he's speaking very strongly here. Now, you know this, let's cover the basics of this. You know that um, nowhere in the New Testament does, is, is wine forbidden exclusively. Uh, but obviously in multiple places, Paul strongly condemns drunkenness. Okay, You need to be clear on that. Um, the point here is self-control. That needs to remain intact completely, um, especially when the believer is using alcohol. Um, What's the connection then between not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine? Well, all you have to do is put something in your body that makes you a little less able to control yourself and words start coming out that you would never say. You ever notice that? The tongue gets real loose, the lips get real loose, and when self-control is compromised, you can begin to start saying things about people that um, are not fitting um, in the gospel. So don't allow yourself, don't allow the women in your home to compromise their self-control. Um, other sins can be connected to that. Um, I've got several lists of questions here for you to think about. Are, are you the kind of man that's concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place in the woman that you would date? Or even in your wife? Do you long for your wife to be in control of her words? Your wife is like you. She can say things that she shouldn't say. Do you long for her to be in control of her words? Do you, do you know the effects right now of your wife's words on others? Do you know the effects of her emails on others? Do you know the effects of her Facebook postings on others? Do you know the effects of her texting on others? Um, You need to know the condition of your wife's words and the effects they have. Uh, Are you looking for a woman, if you're single, are you looking for a woman who is far from the charge of gossip? Are you concerned to direct your wife away from gossip? Are you concerned to protect her? Just questions for you to think about in regards. Look, these may not be the right questions for you to ask. Let these help you think of the right questions to ask. Um... Are you the kind of man that's passionate to to not lose your own self-control when you use alcohol? Uh, Before you examine your wife's use of alcohol, think about your own. You're the one setting the tone for it in your home. 
uh, if you do use it. Do you long for your wife to always have self-control, especially in her use of alcohol? As a single man, is this the kind of woman that you find attractive? A woman that wants to always maintain self-control. Do you find that kind of woman attractive? Um, what men who are not Christians are looking for, and let's be honest, maybe a, a lot of Christian men, they're looking for a woman who loses her self-control. But this is something you'd want to cherish in a woman. Are you looking for that, guys, if you're looking for a, a wife? Has your oversight of the use of alcohol in your marriage, in your home, in your life, has it been helpful for your wife so that she would have no trouble meeting this qualification as an older woman? Or does your use of alcohol in the home make it difficult for her? Um, we need to just think through these things carefully. Are you concerned to direct your wife away from the numbing effect um, on self-control that too much alcohol can produce? Are you protecting your wife? Um, just think through these things. Fourth characteristics, uh, characteristic that created by the gospel. Teaching what is good. Verse 3, she's not to be malicious gossip nor enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good. Uh, it's one word in the Greek. It has the word good on the front or beneficial on the front, and it has the word teacher on the back. So beneficial teacher, good teacher. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, she is formally able to teach Bible studies um, or lessons, but it implies at a minimum that she has the ability to informally teach by word and by example the things that would be beneficial for other women that are going to be spelled out in verses 4 to 5. Um, so a couple of questions for you. Are you the kind of man that wants to live a life that brings good and benefit to others? Are you thinking about your wife being able to bring good to others? Think about you. Are you bringing good to others? You don't want your wife to lead in a way or you know, in, in her ministry in a way that, that you're not currently doing it. Um, other questions, are you concerned for your wife to be able to impart what is good to younger women? Do you want, can you see your wife, if she's a younger woman now, can you see her someday becoming an older woman who would be able to teach what is good? Do you want her to go in that direction? What do you have to do to help her go in that direction? So if I can summarize this a little bit here for the older woman. If the younger women of the church because uh, that's what's next. If the younger women of the church are going to be the kind of women that God desires them to be in the gospel, then it requires the presence of older women impacted by the gospel. Okay, Older women of a certain character. Do you see here, guys, as we move into the younger women here in verse 4, do you see that how God has connected the lives of women together in the church? In the gospel, God has created here a dependency for the younger women to have on the older women in the church. He's created that. That's what Paul's telling us here. Now, does that mean that younger women can't be godly unless there are older women in the church? No, they, they can be. But God has something much better and much richer for that church. And we need to be the kinds of heads of our households that make our home, our household, fertile soil for the women to grow up in, in the gospel, that they need to be. Okay? Um, we're responsible for them becoming what they are. We get to be the ones to set the tone for the godly character for our wives, our daughters. The, we get to set the soil condition at home for the women. If your wife is a plant in the soil of your home and the soil of your leadership, 
What, what is she growing into right now? That's what you want to be thinking. What do you want her to grow into? Um, so, I, And I want to make this, this clear again. The primary point of, of this lesson is not for you to go home and to um, criticize your wife where she's not at. Okay? In terms of her character. The primary point first is to wake us up to what we must be and what God says about the women and that we can't expect our wives to be someplace that we're not in character. And we want to lead our wives. We want to help guide them there. We want to love them in a, in a self-sacrificing leadership to get to where God wants them to be. The primary point here is that you can't just be aware of what God wants for them, but you, you need to be a man who loves what God has for your wife. Don't just be aware of it. Love what he has for the women in your household. And help them get there. So, second uh, part of the outline. Number two. What transformed older women must train the transformed younger women to be? What do they, what do they need to train them to be? Verse four. So that they might encourage them or literally train them. Um, the idea here is simply to advise. So that the older women might advise the younger women. So that they might urge the younger women. So that they might train the younger women. And what's interesting here is that um, Titus himself, if you watch closely here, Titus himself is um, directly to address all of the other different groups directly, except for this one. Speak to the older men this. Speak to the older women this. Speak to the younger men this. Speak to the older men this. But the older women are supposed to instruct the younger women in this way. I don't, I don't think Paul's forbidding Titus from speaking to younger women, but it's an interesting observation to note that this list, this group in the church is dependent on one of the other groups listed in a way that the other ones aren't. The younger men are not dependent in this list in being taught by the older men. Now, should that happen in a church? Absolutely. But Paul is making a special point here. The point emphasized here is that the older women have a very direct training role with younger women that goes even beyond what Titus might teach or what the elders might teach. Um, can elders instruct younger women the same types of things? Absolutely, they should. But the point again is there's a unique relationship between the older women of the church and the younger women in the body of Christ. And there's supposed to be an exhortation to the older women to be what they must be in the gospel so that they can then help the younger women be what they are supposed to be in the gospel. Do you understand this? And Titus and the elders are to rely on this ministry. I, I can tell you this. I, I meet about once a month with the women who are part of the women's ministry at the church. So these are the women who... Um, are teaching Wellspring right now over on this side of the campus who teach the Wellspring on, on Thursday mornings um, who help with Friday night ministries uh, that the women have who help plan retreats uh, who help establish the mentoring ministry for the older women with the younger women and I can tell you that God has blessed this church with women godly older women who um, have no desire to build a little empire for themselves and keep everybody else away, but all they want is elder oversight, elder involvement, and what they are doing, there are, there are countless capable women to teach and to train 
Um, God has taken this young church from being where it was, where we were just trying to help each other as peers figure out what to do next, to providing us with older women who can really come alongside the younger women and care for them well. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge blessing. Um, God has really blessed us. Every time I leave one of those meetings, it's one of my most encouraging meetings all month, this meeting with those ladies. Um, these older women are to uh, help encourage the young women. The word description there for young women is just those women who are in an earlier stage of life than the older women. What ages are they at? I don't know, but you've got some older ones and you've got some younger ones. The ones that are older in your church, whatever that is, help them aim for what Paul's talking about for them. And if you've got women who are younger than that, help them aim for what Paul's talking about there. What is it that they're supposed to aim at to train them? Number one in verse four, to love their husbands. They need to be husband lovers. Again, this is one word in the Greek. It's got the word love on the front of it and the word man on the back. She's her man lover. She loves her man. She loves her husband. Uh, this is obviously having more than emotional affection. We need to think rightly about what love is in the Bible. It's not the emotional affection merely that the world thinks about. But what love is in the Bible is the self-emptying, self-giving love that a, a man or a, a believer gives. It's what Jesus did at the cross. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. God, when he loves, is a giving God. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? By giving himself up for the church. You see, love in the Bible is the self-emptying, self-giving action that does what is good and best and beneficial for another. It is not a sappy, romantic, emotional thing merely. Now, does that include the affections? Do the emotions get swept up in that? Yes. But if emotions are swept up, but at the heart of it, there is not a self-giving, self-emptying action ready to sacrifice self, that ain't what the love the Bible's talking about. You understand? This is a self-giving love. And the women are to train, the, the older women are to train the younger women to be this. Now, just put these two words together. Train to love. Tra- advise, so you can train somebody to love. That, that go, that's counterintuitive to our culture. You don't train somebody to love in our culture. You either got it, you either fell into love, or you fall out of love. How do you teach somebody to fall into love? You don't teach that, but the Bible here says the older women are supposed to train them to love. You can train somebody to empty themselves out for the good of another person. Okay, This is so counterintuitive for our day. Um, what God expects is that the young woman be trained advised to give of herself, to empty herself out for her husband. So what if in a culture, let's say in the first century, a marriage is arranged and dad gives daughter to that guy's son and she doesn't love him like we think of love. They're together, they're married. What can an older woman in the church do for that younger woman? I'll tell you exactly what she can do. She can train her to love her husband. See, that, we just like, that's like anathema. You can't put people together who don't fall in love with each other. 
Well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe, maybe you can. Regardless, train them to love. You can train them to love. You can. Um, I, I find that fascinating. The idea here is clearly that love for husband is something that can be grown. It can be cultivated. It can be brought under the woman's will to do. She can be advised to do it. She can be trained. Um, so love is to be first and foremost in her marriage. The very first thing that comes out of Paul's mouth when he thinks of younger women is love your husband. Don't play leapfrog over your husband, wives. He would say, younger wives. Um, this is more than an uncontrollable affection. God's love that the gospel generates for a husband from a wife is one that can be trained. I think of as many different ways to say it as possible. Um, This is not a love that just happens. Like you can't fall into the gospel love that the gospel creates. You can't fall into it. But you can be trained to give it. Do you know that? You can be trained to give it. Um, Secondly, she's to be a children lover. The same is true here for children. Again, it's one uh, one word with the word love on the front and this time children on the back. Um, and all that we just said about self-giving, self-emptying, sacrificial love that a woman is supposed to have for a husband could be said here in regards to the children. So um, she needs to be trained to empty herself out for her children by an older woman. Uh, so her love for her children, it can be grown. It can be cultivated. It can be brought under her will and into her will. She can be trained to do it. And so love is to be the first thing that comes out of a young woman in her home. Love for the people in her home, her husband and her children. She's not to play leapfrog over those people in her home. So a couple of questions. Has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for her and for her love? For her self-emptying acts, her self-sacrificial acts of love towards you? Have you um, identified the acts of love your wife demonstrates towards you? If you were going to start really maybe anywhere with any of these questions, like if you're going to do this for your homework, I'd probably start here. Encourage you to start here. Make a list. Here's your homework. Make a list of all of the ways that you know that your wife empties herself out every day for you and or for your kids. Make a list of them. And then go sit down with her. Take her out on a date and sit down with her and say, take your list out. And um, so I have some things I've been thinking about in regards to you and the way that you love me. And then after she passes out and you wake her up on the floor and get her back in the chair because she's shocked that you actually took time and thought of this, um, you then read through the list and say, I know that you sacrificed for me and I don't acknowledge it enough, but I want to. And today is the start of something new. Um, let her know that you see that she loves you. And, and don't let her get into the thinking that the way that I have to show my husband that I love him is I have to have these emotional things all the time. I need to always, my emotions always need to be at the height of romantic love. Um, look, want that. Nobody's talking against that. But don't let her even get into that. Let her remind her by telling her that you empty yourself out for me like this. And you empty yourself out for me like this. And you empty yourself out for me like this. And by the way, honey, that's biblical love. You love me in a biblical way. She needs to go, yeah, that's right, I do. That's biblical love. Thanks for reminding me. It's not an emotion, merely. You guys understand what I'm saying? Um, 
for her to empty herself out repeatedly over and over and over but not hear much from you about it or from me about it with my wife, that, that's got to be discouraging, right? We don't want to do that with our wives. Has your wife heard you express that, uh, your gratefulness for her love for your children? If you've got kids at home, make a list, a, pair, a, you know, a, a partner list with that one. Here's the ways I see you sacrifice for the kids. Let her hear that from you as well. Third characteristic for a young woman to be trained and taught to be sensible. Verse 5. To be sensible. That means being in control of oneself. You know, for, for Paul, for probably being a single guy, um, he's, he's pretty insightful about women. Love your husbands, love your wives, and, and learn to be so sensible, in control of yourself. Young women, be in control of yourself. Be prudent. Be thoughtful about who you are, what you do. Young women need to be trained in using good judgment. Where? Boy, where can you help a young woman? Where can the older women of the church help a younger woman exercise good judgment? In all of the different arenas of life. How about um, what you do with your time? What what a wife does with her time? Um, How much time is she outside the home? How much time is she inside the home? What does she do with her time when she is inside the home? Is she sensible about her time? Is she sensible about her use of money? Is she sensible about what she does with TV and the internet? Is she sensible about uh, social media? Is she sensible about how much the kids are involved in? Or is she just kind of this activity junkie? I have a wife who in many ways is an activity junkie. She would rather be doing something than nothing. Or, or be at home. She would rather take the kids and go somewhere. I get tired thinking about her schedule sometimes because she just goes and goes. And sometimes I have to help her to pull back and say, I think we could be getting worn out. Being sensible about what you do with your time and the activities you're involved with. Are you looking for a wife who has good judgment? Single guys, are you looking for a wife who's got good judgment? She's sensible in the different areas of her life. Do you long for your wife to be that kind of a woman? In, in what ways have you seen your wife use good judgment in the home? Wouldn't that be a good thing to sit down and make a list? Honey, you are a sensible woman, and here's the proof. One, and just run through the list. Do you need to study your wife in this area so you can offer her encouragement, and so you can better equip her? The fourth characteristic produced by the gospel that an older woman is to help train the younger woman with is purity. Number four, she is to be pure. This is the word holy. She just needs to be holy. Uh, It's a different word than the word reverent used for the older women up in verse 3, but it's the same idea. But you can see that from young, being a young woman to being an old woman, purity and reverent behavior is never to not exist. It is always to be there from the youngest to the oldest. Um, Guys, are you who are single, are you looking for a wife who is pure? Wow. Look for a wife, a a young woman who will be and is pure. Guys, do you long for your wife to be pure in thought? Indeed. You can't want your wife to be that if if you're not willing to be that yourself, right? Um, Do you know what impurities tempt your wife? Do you know what... Form those impurities come at your wife or what avenues 
those impurities come at your wife? Is it through the internet? Is it through social media? Is it through TV, movies, whatever? Have you ever thought about this with your entertainment? Have you ever thought whether or not your leadership in the entertainment that you guys do that actually tempts your wife to impurity? Things that you watch, things that you sit with your wife and watch. Does it tempt her to impurity? Before you even, I mean, does it tempt you to impurity? But if it's tempting you, what's it doing to her? In what ways have you seen purity in your wife in your home? Um, Do you need to study your wife so that you can give her the list of the ways that she is pure? Number five, workers at home. Now, full stop for a minute. Let's just review. Um, These are the, the gospel creates character that makes a woman want to love her husband. The gospel shapes a woman in a way that she wants to love her children. The gospel shapes her in such a way that she is sensible. She can't be sensible apart from the gospel. The gospel comes and shapes her in a way that she would be pure. And number five, the gospel shapes her in a way that she would want to work at home. Worker at home, shaped by the gospel, created by the gospel. It's one word in the Greek, again, house on the front, work on the back. Carrying out household responsibilities. To be busy with the work that a household of people requires. You put people in a household, live for a couple days not doing any work, and you will find that that house is in big trouble, right? Um, Somebody needs to be about that work. Please. Yeah, Yeah. it, it implies that they, they need some help in knowing how to love their husbands, knowing how to love their children, and, and all of these things. That um, It doesn't say that they are clueless, but they're capable of not knowing how to do it well, and they need help. And um, God has created a uh, dependent relationship between the younger women and the older women in the church to help them with that. Yeah, it, come alongside. That's right. Yeah, it's not it's not merely a uh, teach a class on it. It's they need to have a, a woman come alongside them in a way to really train them, show them how to do these things and be these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, your your family cannot be an island. Your your family needs to be in the church with a bunch of other families, and our sanctification is dependent upon each other. We need each other to be plugged in and in your family. And this is why it's so important. I mean, you need to be a part of a church wherever you go someday, wherever you, God might lead you beyond here, if He would ever do that. Um, you need to be in a church where you would actually want your daughter discipled by the influenced by other women in the church. Not instead of your wife, but alongside your wife. And and you need to be able to know what the the the, the, the kids and the and the, the women think. Um, it's 
very important. Um, so, why is this woman this way? Why is she to be a worker at home? Guys, this is, um, this is what the gospel shapes a woman to be. As much as the other characteristics. So just like the gospel generates a sensible character, characteristic in the woman, just like the gospel generates a pure characteristic in the woman, and, and go beyond this one in verse 5 to kind. Where did that kindness come from? It comes from the gospel. Uh, being subject to their own husbands. What makes a woman want to be subject, submissive to her husband? The gospel. Guess what the gospel also does? It makes her be a worker at home. Does that seem funny to you? I hope it doesn't. I hope that becomes a, a, a uh, yeah, of course it does. Um, and, and I'll tell you why I'm kind of pausing on this here. This is this is the characteristic that probably gets the most attention and, and probably has the most controversy surrounding it, right? For a woman. Um, and it's the one that is most easily negotiated away for the woman in the church. It's the one that's the most easily negotiated away. I don't know if they think it's a cultural thing. No, Paul just said that cultural, you know, has a cultural implication for his day. Well, let me ask you this. What in the text warrants you to come to that conclusion? That this one's cultural, but the ones before it aren't, and the ones after it aren't. What stands out in that list that would indicate a reader 2,000 years later to come to that conclusion? Nothing. This is not something to be as easily negotiated away. Think about this with me. Um, Look at those other characteristics in that list. Which one do you feel comfortable negotiating away in a young woman's life? You know, honey, it's not really important. Let's let's have you be half time in loving me and in loving the children. Let's have you um, back off a little bit on your sensibility and your purity. And especially your kindness. Let's back off... Can you imagine anybody talking about these other characteristics in this list in a way that often this one gets dealt with in terms of being a worker at home? Why does the worker at home seem to be different in the minds of of many Christians? Because I don't think there's anything in the list or anything in the flow of what Paul is doing that would give any indication that we should think about it differently than the one right before it or the one right after it. Let me tackle it from another direction. If someone was coming to your wife and tugging her away, distracting her away from loving you, distracting her away from loving your children, if anything came into your household and began to distract your wife away from being sensible, tug on your wife in regards to her purity, of being submissive to you, being kind, what would you do? Would you be concerned? If something is tugging your wife away from being a worker at home, what should you do? What I, what I want to at least introduce today, if, if you haven't been introduced to it before, is, is I want you to feel the arbitrariness of selecting this one characteristic and treating it differently than all the other ones. Like, this is one that we can negotiate away. And that's saying it in a negative way. Or maybe just not be as thoughtful about, as concerned to 
pay attention to as I am concerned to pay attention to the other things. I, I want you to feel the arbitrariness of it, of, of thinking that way. It shouldn't have a different standard. Now, that being said, um, a Christian woman, a Christian wife, should she never work outside the home? Well, I don't think that's what Paul's saying either. And that's not what we're implying here. Um you can take a look at a very wise woman in Proverbs 31, right? Is she engaged outside the home? In ways that put most men to shame. But do you see, what's the impact on her household in Proverbs 31? Can you think of it? I want you to write it down, go read it later. What's the impact on her children? What's the impact on her household, on her husband? Everything she does, inside the home, outside the home, what's the impact? Is her household compromised or is her household enhanced by what she does outside the home? It's enhanced, isn't it? Um, But Proverbs 31 is not a command to go work outside the home. Proverbs 31 is a precursor to what Paul is teaching in Titus 2. That woman in Proverbs 31 is consumed with her household. She loves her household. She clothes her children. She makes sure that they have everything that they need. She is focused on being a worker in the home. And she steps outside of her home in a way that only blesses that focus that she has. And Paul isn't saying anything differently. So Paul, in saying that she's a worker at home, is not saying there's no way that she should ever be working outside of the home. But you have to know your wife very well. What this characteristic says uh, positively is simply that she is to be a worker at home. And every woman is different. Um, Some do not do very well at having a lot of work to do outside the home. I know my wife. To ask her to go do work outside of the home only overwhelms my wife Um, because she has so much that she is thinking about in terms of orienting herself toward at home that I'm taking her away from that and it burdens her. Um, You need to know if that is your wife or if your wife's different, especially before you ask your wife to work outside the home. A few years ago when the economy crashed, but there's no need to worry now because we're on a robust recovery. Um, when the economy crashed, there were several dads and husbands in the church whose incomes... Did that come out of sarcasm? It did. We'll edit that out. Um, but there were several men in the church who they felt it in their income. Their income was diminished greatly. And for some of the guys, the first thought on their minds was, honey, you got to get a job. Well... <laughs> There's now two or three little ones in the home. And I had my wife come tell me about conversations with wives that she had where these women are in tears. My husband wants me to, to go work. And the, the question was, that was in my mind for these men, was do you even know what your wife does at home? Do you know what the work is that she does? And... Um, so one guy asked his wife, but he asked it this way, don't do this. He said, 
Honey, so what is it that you do all day anyway? Oh, that did not go well. Okay, so it's, it's not like that, but you need to know your wife well. Uh, the season of life that she's in, you need to ask her, what, what do you do? What kind of work is it that you're doing? What, what time does it take up? When do you schedule it? How effective are you? How efficient are you? Before you even think about adding something to that work that she's supposed to be focused on, before you add something to it outside, you need to know how she does with it, what her capacity levels are. Um, the season of life you're in, the age of your children changes. I, I know that when um, our kids were all finally in school, uh, my wife was rejoiced to be able to go out and now leave the household and actually go to their schools and serve in the schools and work there. It was a joy for her to do that. You've got all kinds of possibilities. But the point is, whether your wife and your mother of your kids works outside the home or not, the, this characteristic is her center of gravity. She is a worker. But the gospel shaped her first, not into a career woman, but into a worker at home. Do you understand? Yeah, Jacob. Yeah. You want to think how does working at home augment or help the other characteristics, or how would mm. not working at home in a particular season of life actually distract from loving the kids? How, how does working at the home actually flesh out yeah. loving the children, loving the husband, being kind, sensible? Especially when. Especially when you think of love as a self-giving act, you, you have to be present to do that oftentimes. If, if all love is, is an, I feel emotional towards you, well, you don't have to, you know, you could, be, you could think, I'm loving my children. I, I have warm, fuzzy feelings about them. No, it's self-emptying love, and it does impact. That, that's a good point to bring out. Even to follow up with what my son said, um, we have, Lori and I have two great daughter-in-laws who both we are blessed in that both of them are able to stay home with our four grandkids and so um, we see just the benefits of that and we're able to help with that and encourage and pray for them in that way that's right that's good that's good I know um, Kim and I when I when I finally graduated from seminary and started pastoring up at Camelback Bible Church, we made the decision then that we were going to live on my income. And so we set the parameters for our living then on one income. So that from the, the start, we were early on in our marriage still, we'd been married for five years, um, we, we were just going to live by that. And if you're in a place like that, guys, or you're not married yet, I, I encourage you, you get trained in such a way that you can employ, get employment that will provide for your family the best that you can. And, and no matter what it is, learn to live within your means. Don't set a course for yourself for the American way of life with, you know, used to say a two-car garage, now it's a four-car garage, three, four cars. Don't set that as the, the standard Live within your means so your wife can be blessed even more so to be home. Uh, so think carefully, guys. There may be a time in season in your life where your wife may need to be involved outside, in, in work outside the home. There might be. When should you do that? Only when you understand what this calls her to be first 
and you understand what the impact on her will be if she has to be involved with something outside the home. When you understand that clearly, you're in a position where you can make an informed decision, a good, wise decision. If you haven't thought about that, you're not ready to make a good decision. And, and your wife, if she loves being home, but she understands that there, she needs to be out, she needs to be able to make a clear connection between the, the, the nuts and bolts of the decision. Okay, I understand why. She shouldn't have to just blindly follow you in that um, and not understand. Um, she needs to get and be a worker at home. So think through that decision very carefully. Um, yeah. What'd you say? Don't think about it alone. Scott, I think yeah. too, it's not just thinking about today, but think one year out, five years out, ten years out. Yeah. It's easy to get into a pattern where uh, it, it you might not change or have an, have an exit strategy if you can to get her back home if you, if you need to. Um, by the way, just an important thing to say about worker at home, just because your wife is home all the time doesn't mean she's a worker at home. Um, women are as prone to laziness as you and I are, and uh, being a couch potato, uh, being on Facebook all day, watching whatever channel all day, um, just because a woman's at home, doesn't. the goal is not just to have your wife at home. The goal is your wife needs to be a certain kind of worker, a certain kind of character, one who works in the home, okay? I have several questions for you there. I'm going to run through the rest here um, quickly. She needs to be kind. Uh, verse 5, uh, kind. Some think here that Paul had workers at home and kind in mind simultaneously. Uh, sometimes the, the overwhelming work that a home requires can tempt a woman to, over, uh, to be overly task-oriented and actually miss the people that she's serving and loving and, and be short with them, curt with them, sharp with them. Uh, boy, we ask our wives to do a lot, and there's a lot on their plates, and um, she needs to be kind, a kind person as well. Um, seventh, the older women are to train them to be um, subject to their own husbands. It's the same verb for submit that's found in uh, Ephesians 5. The idea that's built into this verb is that there needs to be somebody in authority and there needs to be somebody who's following, um, who's not in authority. Um, one is a follower. The, the one is, um, that one is the one who lines up her life under her husband's authority. In this case, it's, it's the wife. Um, it has nothing to do with spiritual uh, inferiority, that the, the superior, spiritually superior one is the authority and the spiritually inferior one is the one who has to follow. It has nothing to do with that. It has solely to do with roles. And you know this anyway. Your wife is far superior to you spiritually anyway. And she's following you. Okay. So it's a matter of roles. The gospel makes you into a leader and the gospel makes her into a follower in Jesus Christ. Um, that's the implication of the gospel on her life. Guys, you know what? Look for a, look for a single gal now. Uh, if she's living out on her own, look for a gal who understands how to be submissive to authority over her. Is she, is she working? Does she have a boss? How does she follow her boss's um, leadership? Is she a student? How does she think of her teacher's authority? 
Um, look for a woman who's working on her submission even now. She enjoys even that. And she desires someday to be that under a man in a household, in a marriage relationship. Um, this is really important in terms of the, the submission side of things. Uh, this is part of the questions that I have for you there. Um, are you sacrificing yourself in love for her in such a way that it endears her towards submission to you? You know, guys, you need to think about that. Um, are you, you can expect your wife and just expect your wife and let her know that you expect her to submit to you. But how are you emptying yourself out in love, in your leadership? Are you doing it in a way that makes that endears her, that she wants to? Listen, do you want to follow Jesus Christ? Do you want to submit your life under Jesus Christ? Yeah, do you know why you want to? Look at the kind of savior he is. Look at the kind of head he is. Look at the kind of leader he is. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Do you want to follow that guy? Yeah, he endears us to him by the, his character. For us to stand back and not be concerned about the way we leave, but just demand submission is wrong. We need to make sure that we are living and sacrificing ourselves in love in such a way that she would be endeared. She would find submission to us pleasant. Um, lastly, what happens, number three, when transformed women are all that they should be? You, this is the so that statement at the end of verse five. So that the word of God will not be diso- uh, dishonored. This will all help prevent the word of God in the church and in the community from being dishonored. Um, the word of God The crown jewel of it, the gospel, should not be able to be slandered or defamed or spoken irreverently of um, by the community, by looking into our homes. And every time there's moral failure in a Christian home, that's what we give the world opportunity to do, is dishonor the word of God. So what Paul is saying here is that Christianity on the island of Crete is going to be judged particularly by the impact that the gospel makes on the home. And you can even drill it all the way down and say, the reputation of the gospel on the island of Crete will be impacted by the way women live in a household. Do you know how they should live? Do you know what kind of way, uh, what kind of characteristic God wants them to be? Um, So women can actually be a part of setting up God's revelation of himself in the gospel as something beautiful by the way that they behave and live and flesh out their Christian life. And younger women need the older women to help them do that. There's a dependent relationship there. Um, The outside world will judge the truth and the power of the gospel by the way women live in a home. MacArthur's quote is this, The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. Help your wife be a part of that um, process. Um, Guys, again, just for your homework with this, if you want, select some of those questions and sit with your wife. Come prepared um, to talk about it if if you want to next time for our small group time. Okay? Anything else? Got any of the elders, do you guys have anything you want to add to that? Any questions, comments, concerns? Uh, if, if you haven't given thought, if, if you feel that I was speaking specifically and, and maybe you felt even sharply to you because of, of your wife's situation with work, 
I don't know probably what your wife's situation is with work. Um, I'm not trying. I'm not talking to any specific person here. Um, what I hope is is that you you feel like you understand that characteristic more than you did before, and that you can think carefully about your your marriage relationship and what your wife's doing. Okay. And if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to ask. Kyle. Yeah, great question. We have, um, number one, I, I hope that it, it things are set up where it happens really naturally in terms of like in small groups. Um, you know, if you're involved, one of the ways to have an older woman come alongside a younger woman is be involved in a small group and look for the older women in that group who have the right kind of character to be able to come alongside your wife. That would be one way to look for it. That would be ideal because then you have a woman that's already in the same uh, rhythm of weekly pattern meeting that could meet with your wife, you know, and, and be a part of that. Second thing that we have put into place to help is Wellspring. Uh, let the women come along and, and be a part of that. Uh, what we're doing right now, even this morning, is, is they're doing this very thing. Some older women in the church are helping come alongside the younger women in the church to think about being the right kind of godly woman that they should be. Third thing that we have is an actual formal mentoring ministry. Uh, Chris Evans is the one who helps provide leadership for that. And um, oftentimes I'll have a guy come up to me and say, or a, a, a woman will ask me, say, I, I would really like to meet with an older woman. And I'll say, um, can I give your name to Chris Evans? And Chris has been, Chris and I have a long list of women in the church that we've looked through. These are elder approved women who the, whom we would trust to be in a, discipling relationship with a younger woman. Uh, these are women who have been through Wellspring. They understand what we're about with these first three disciplines of build and Wellspring. Um, and then we just try to match them. And the first person we try to match is somebody, hopefully there's somebody in that list that's in that person's small group, if possible. Just so that they are not trying to, now try to find a different time and, and but, but capitalize on relationships that are already made. So we, we have ways of pairing up women uh, in the church, uh, we try to give thought to that. So, does that answer the question? Okay, it's a great question. Anything else? Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for uh, giving us as men the opportunity to look at what you're thinking of in regards to women in a household. And uh, Lord, we're sobered, and we're um, Lord. This this wakes us up to think about our role in that, that we need to be alert maybe more than we, we, we think we've been. Help us to think rightly about women. Help us to be aware of what your heart's desire is for them in the gospel. But Lord, help us to, to um, help those women embrace what you have for them. Lord, there's so many different messages out in our world that are pulling uh, our wives and our daughters, our, our moms in different directions. Uh, than what your Bible directs them to. Lord, may we help protect them and keep truth before them so that your gospel is adorned. It is seen to be the beautiful truth and reality and power that it is. And so that the critics may be silenced, having nothing bad to say about us. All for your glory's sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, men, for coming. Thank you for the sacrifice you make to be here. See you in two weeks.